I was always scared that I was going to make some mistake and lose all of our money. It felt like I was, you go from having no stakes at all and no consequences to if you don't do well to having a huge amount of consequences and stakes if you don't do well. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. I reached $100 million net worth by the age of 29. Today, what I want to do is I want to walk you through the whole journey with the goal that you can take the lessons and the mistakes that I made along the way, along with what I learned from those mistakes, and you can apply it to your own life. So hopefully you can reach your goal of 100 million or 50 million or 10 million or 1 million even faster than I did with less pain and suffering. And at the end, what I want to do is break down or explain the goal that I have next, which is getting to a billion, how I plan to do that and what I anticipate I need to do to get there. So everything really began when I was 15 and I was living in Portage, Michigan, and I got my first job ever as a Subway sandwich artist. The day-to-day was not glamorous. Those are the memories I have of Subway is basically uh, smelling like ham, having stained fingers like banana peppers, and then getting talked to like I was five. The sole purpose of this job was just to have money. Like there was no, the only end goal to this job was purely money. And to get work experience so that I could get a job somewhere else. I think the biggest lesson that I got from that job was understanding what I didn't want. I remember there was a day that I had off. Not expected to be in. I didn't work that Friday. I was at school. And the boss called. And I guess somebody had like called off or called sick. And they left a message on my house phone where my parents could hear it. And I remember I came home and they were like, you've got a message. And it was like, I'll just never forget It was like, Layla, you better get your ass in here because Cindy called off to work today and we don't have backup. And I was just like, holy like this person left that on my home phone where like my whole family can listen to the voicemail. And I immediately was like, oh no, no amount of money is worth that to me. And so I called back and I left a message letting her know that I quit. And so that was a great learning experience for me because I think at a very young age, I realized like I will not work for somebody who treats me like So when I was 18, I got arrested six times. That's not an exaggeration. That is the factual number for mostly drinking. So like minor in possession. To be really honest, I don't think that I thought getting arrested was a big deal. I don't think that at the time it really resonated with me. Like this is like a bad thing or this is something in your future you would be like ashamed of. I was just in a different mindset. Like I just didn't care. I think it was because I didn't have an enticing vision of my future. And therefore, I didn't care what I did in the present and how it would affect the future for me. I just remember thinking, like, none of this matters. It was the sixth time that I was arrested that my they brought me to my parents' house, which was awful, because I woke up there and I was like, ah, oh, I know what this means. I didn't have any memory of getting there. But I knew because I woke up and there was, like, the arrest record right next to me on my bed of, like, my childhood room. And I was like, yeah, kill me. You know, I was expecting, I think, my dad to, like, yell at me or be more angry or more punishing. And I remember he just looked at me and he was like, I just really think you're going to end up killing yourself. And I was like, whoa, okay. And he's like, I mean, look, like this is like the sixth time you've been arrested. You're like you were blackout drunk, like barely conscious, like what's next? You know, it's only going to get worse from here. And so I think in that moment was when I was like, yeah, I have to get my shit together. I don't want this to be the rest of my life. And I just 
really thought about how I really need to turn my life around at that point. Stop drinking, stop acting like an asshole, stop being so irresponsible. So I was like, okay, I need to get back in shape and I need to hang out with different people because the people I was around, nothing wrong with them or anything, but like they weren't conducive to an environment that would help me change. And so I just made the decision mentally, like, I'm just going to cut off everybody, you know, besides the people who I felt like were supportive of my goals and also had their own goals that would be, you know, I would say like harmonious to mine. But that meant that I lost most of my friends. So it was really changing the whole life. I changed where I lived. I changed who I hung out with. I changed what I ate. I changed what I did every day. I worked more to fill my time. And then with the rest of my time, I was constantly watching videos online, watching documentaries, listening to Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn. Like I just filled my extra time instead of with drinking and partying with all these other things because I knew on some level that would help me if I was listening to people that were talking about those things, then I would start to think those things. I think at some point, if you're trying to change your life, if your environment is working against you, then it is incredibly difficult to make that change. So for me, I just engineered my whole environment to make it easier to achieve my goals and harder to fall off track. After I had taken some time to like get my together and I was on track and I was healthy and I was, you know, kind of like shed the friends that weren't productive in terms of reaching my goals. That was when it was my last year in college and I went there for exercise science and you had to get an internship to do for six months. And I looked at it and there's this list of like hundreds of internships. And they were, I was like, well, what's the best and hardest one? And they were like, it's this one. And I was like, I want to go for that one. So I flew out and I stayed on site. I did the interviews and it was tough. I figured I hadn't gotten it. I just figured it was a cool experience to go apply. And they called me and they were like, you got the first spot. And then they basically said, you come out here for two quarters and you stay on site. The resort, I call it, was basically like the one of the top five wellness retreats in the country. So people would go there, spend a week, two weeks, three weeks, basically like change their whole life, like start eating better. They would get in shape. We had like round the clock workouts, round the clock trainers, round the clock like healthy food. And so people would come out there looking for change. So a lot of celebrities, a lot of top models, a lot of people who were very like in the public eye would come there to kind of get a jump start into some new season of their life. That experience was what taught me what hard work feels like. Every day I would get up and I would have to be on site around 5 a.m. So, you know, getting up around four, getting dressed, grabbing all your stuff. By the way, you had to have your hair and makeup done every day. <laughs> they didn't care that we were teaching workout classes all day. It was like, are you wearing your eyeliner? Do you have the right mascara on? I mean, it was very tedious. And I would go there on site and I would be teaching classes throughout the day, teach a spin class, teach a boot camp teach aerobics, and I'd personal train people in between those, stretch people, personal train. If somebody that's a special client wants to go on a hike, I take them on a hike in the middle of the day. And then I would also lead a hike in the afternoon. And then it's always up to the person, do you want to run the hike or walk the hike? Guess who gets to run or walk at me? But it was incredibly physically exhausting. But I'm really glad that I experienced it because I think it set the tone for me of like, this is what life after college looks like. People are showing up there every day working like this. And this is what I have to expect afterwards. I don't ever think that you do yourself a disservice by learning how to kick it into like high gear. I think it's more about knowing what you're capable of and showing yourself you're capable of it because I know when shit hits the fan, I can kick it into that gear if I need to. I know what I'm capable of and I've done it and I've proven it to myself. Graduation was very not monumental to me. In fact, I decided that I was gonna move to California with no plan 
before I graduated. And then the day I graduated, I left. I didn't care. I just want to get the f out of there. <laughs> I packed up my car like the day before I graduated. And then the moment I was done, I just drove out to California. I went to this job fair and I'll never forget. And this girl was like, this is amazing. I'm four years out of college. I only work like 40 hours a week and I'm making 85 grand a year. And I was like, wait, you've been doing it for four years though? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not for me. And so I remember thinking, I was like, I need to just pursue a different path. I need to look at this differently, which is rather than trying to make the most amount of money from a job, I need to pursue jobs where I'm going to learn. And so what I'll do is I'll drive out to California and I'll just literally walk and see what gyms are in walking distance. I'm just going to get a job as a personal trainer. And I just kept thinking like, I just want to learn. That's all I need to focus on. I don't want, I don't focus on making money because I want to make millions of dollars. I'm not going to make any of these jobs. I had a lot of people that were my friends from college that they made a lot of money really quickly out of college, really cushy. And they got all these benefits and like, they looked really good, but they weren't learning anything. I actually think it, it's a little bit of a curse if you get like a really cush job out of college because you're comfortable and therefore you don't push yourself. I wasn't comfortable at all. I was making jack at first. It was commission-only sales job at this gym. You know, you've got four weeks to prove that you can sell, otherwise you're out. And I was like, oh my God. And so that forced me to learn. You know, I look back at it now and what I did is I put myself in an environment that was conducive to my goals. And so it helped me to put myself in an uncomfortable environment so I could grow faster and achieve my goals faster. And I think that's the best thing I did out of college. After I had been in fitness, working in gyms, I worked in a few different gyms. I ended up like building up my clientele and having like my own roster, taking some of them online. And then I had for that whole time, I just like didn't give a shit about dating. And so the whole time that I was like acquiring these skills, I hadn't dated anyone a long time. And then finally, after about it, a little over a year, everyone's dating people. It's like a whole thing. And they're like, why are you not dating people? And I'm like, I don't know. And I remember my manager at the time, he made such an argument for me dating. He was like, Layla, if you go on dates, it's going to get you better at sales. <laughs> I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. He's like, because it's the same thing. It's a numbers game. And so you just need to go on a ton of dates. And just like you talk to a ton of prospects, not all of them buy. It's the same with dating. I went on a date a week for like, I want to say it was like 14 months of a, technically. And I hated it. It was not fun at all. I had so many bad dates, like so many just awful dates. And then finally, like, I feel like I was at like the precipice of giving up. I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a break. Like, it's exhausting. And I met Alex, my now husband on Bumble. And I think I was intrigued because immediately it was like, give me your phone number. And I was like, amazing. Yes, here it is. Here, stranger, take my phone number. <laughs> and he texted me and then he called me. He was like, can you talk? And I was like, yeah. And then he was like, I figured that we could just get our first date out of the way and talk on the phone. And I was like, oh, I like this guy. This is cool. It's kind of like how I do calls with prospects. <laughs> and then we scheduled like our first date and I actually wanted to cancel it. And then I called, I texted him. And I was like, I'm sick. I can't go. <laughs> and this calls me and he's like, hey. And I was like, hey, he's like, you don't sound sick. <laughs> and I was like, I am sick. And he was like, no, you're not. You're fine. I'll see you tomorrow. And I was just like, what? Like, who is this person? And so we went on a date. I met him for Froyo the next day. And that date was the most interesting date I had been on because I think 
I walked away not thinking like, oh my God, this is my future husband and this and that. I was just like, I just keep wanting to talk to him. Like I felt like we shared a similar view of the world. And so it felt like, I remember feeling like for the first time in a long time, I didn't feel like alone. And I, I remember thinking, I don't even care if we date, but like, I'd really like to be friends with this guy because I just don't feel alone when I talk to him. And that was what kind of kicked off our relationship. And then he was just very persistent. You know, Alex is very intense if you don't know him, but he's very, he's not as intense as he comes off. I think everyone has different sides to themselves. He has a very intense side that I think he was fully immersed in that when I met him. I remember thinking he was Christian Bale because I walked in and it was like this very well-organized water, yogurt, egg whites, Diet Coke, Coke Zero to be exact. And I was just like, that's it. Like, this is the house. You know what I mean? I was like, this guy is so weird. And then we like, he was touring me the house and we walked into this hallway and it was just like animals in like attack mode. Like there was like a hippo and it was like, and then there was like a lion and it was like, and then there was like a panther like on the prowl. And I was like, why do you have all these like aggressive animal pictures? And he was like, to remind me to always be the hunter and not the hunted. I was like, oh, geez, okay. I think I couldn't stop laughing. And he was like, why are you laughing at me? And I was like, are you joking? Like, are you for real? Or is this like staged? Like it was, I just couldn't take, you know, I'm not that serious. So I was like, what? Yeah, that was really interesting. Alex had six gyms and he realized I was very good at fitness sales. I had established my career there. And he wanted to start this company called Gym Launch. And he kept saying, you should come do this with me. I need to see if somebody else can do it. Like, we want to see if this is going to work. It's not going to work with just me. I need help. At the same time, I kept thinking like I could start my own gym because now I understand how it works to open a small brick and mortar. And I told him that and he just would always say the same thing. He's like, you should do neither of those things because you'll make way more money and have way more fun if you do this with me. And, you know, he's very charming about it. It didn't take long for me to cave. I had always had the, the mentality at that point in my life of, taking risks because I was young. You know, at that point I was 23. And I just remember so many people always telling me, they're like, you're young, take the risks. You're young, do it. And I was like, I should listen. You know, I don't think that's stupid. It makes sense. I have nothing to risk right now. Like what? I lose all my clients. I have to build up a new roster of clients. Like that's not a huge deal. I can do it again. I just didn't think any of my worst case scenarios were that bad. I knew logically it wouldn't be that bad. Like I felt very scared to take the leap and, and do it. Like I did, I was, I was terrified. And he definitely didn't know how terrified I was. I don't think that it was even a big deal to him, but I did it at the time, which is funny. In the early days of gym launch, nothing worked. We flew out to the gyms. And what we didn't realize was that I'm a 23 year old female that flies out to this like 40 year old established gym owner's gym. I market and sell and make $150,000 from his gym by myself at the age of 23. I then leave and leave you with all the customers. Now I gave you a percentage of the sales, but I took most of it. How do you feel? Not great. What it was is they would be resentful of what we were doing. We didn't incentivize them. We incentivized ourselves and the customers, but not the gym owner. And so after some time, we just realized that wasn't working. I remember this lady called me. She was like, Layla, Matt just stood up on a chair and just told us all to charge back or refund with you. And that we could sign up through him for half of what we paid you. And I was like, oh no. We had no formal agreements with these people. We had no legal protection. We had nothing legitimate. That happened with one gym and then another gym did it. And that was enough that we had like negative $250,000. And then when that came in, we were like, oh, shit, profit's all gone. Plus 
how the hell are we going to pay back $200,000? Because what we would do is we would take that money and we would pour it into marketing for the next location and the flights and the hotel and the cars. And so we were like, this model is fundamentally broken. And the only way to get out of this and to pay all this money back, which we were like, we have to do, is to make even more by doing more launches. And at that point, we're like, we can't do that. And so I had been still servicing online clients. And Alex was like, F it. I should just be the back end. You should be the front end. Let's make you like a weight loss business. And you should be the face of it. And then I'll just market and you sell them in and we'll just call it a day. And I was like, okay. So we started doing that. Alex built out a funnel. I built out the entire course. And then we put it all together. And then we started selling. That was what we were going to do. And so Alex ended up taking, he was like, all right, I'm going to call up all these gyms we have planned out. I'm going to let them know that this isn't working. And so he called the gym owners that we had lined up for the next few months. And he was like, listen, we're canceling. You didn't pay us anything. We were going to do it for free and do a rub share anyways. Like, it is what it is, man. Like, this model doesn't work for me. And they were so desperate. The first guy was like, you can't cancel on me, dude. He's like, my gym will go under. Or Alex, like, being on the phone looking at me. And I was like, fuck. We were in the industry. So we have a lot of empathy for people going through that. We were like, we don't want this guy to be, like, fucked. And he's like, how much do I have to pay you to just, like, show me what you're doing. And Alex is like, $6,000. And he's like, but I literally am not involved. I'll just like to give you the, the trainings that we have for our team. And the guy was like, done. And we were like, what the f So we called the next guy. And I swear, every conversation was the same one. And by the end, we had talked to eight gym owners and they all said, I would pay you. By the end of that day, we had made like $42,000. I remember I had also at the same time been selling people into this weight loss program and at the end of the day, I'm like, what are we going to do? Alex was like, I think, I think we just got to sell the secrets. I think, I remember he was like, this is it. He was like, I'm going to sell the secrets and we're just going to get the out of this industry. And I was like, okay. He's like, we'll just sell it to as many people as want it. And they can just do this. We don't have to fly out anywhere. And then like, we'll just be done. And so in our minds, this was not a business. This was just like a finite until it's done and we paid off the money. And I don't think we could have anticipated what happened next, which was like a flood. It's like nothing I've ever experienced. I mean, people were DMing me left and right on Facebook because what happened was these first group of gym owners, we put them into the program. We took all of our trainings and everything. We put them into a course and we kicked it off. And in the first two weeks, like one guy made 50 grand, another guy made 30 grand, another guy made 38,000. I mean, it was just like absurd. They were making the same amount that Alex and I were. And we were like, holy shit. And so then they were telling all their friends. It was like, and then it spread like word of mouth I've never seen before, like wildfire. Like I could not, people wouldn't stop giving people my phone number, DMing me because I was like the entryway. And my calendar was insane. It was like, I was taking group calls to talk to people about our program because I couldn't talk to one at a time and still like do anything throughout the day. It was like 12 hours a day of just group calls. It was absurd. And that was how the business actually started. Like at the end of the day, it works. We have a product that we were able to design advertising for gyms in a way that they could get literally a return of like they could put a dollar in and they would get $20 out. That's what we had cracked. And we just so happened to crack it before anybody else did. And that is luck. If we had gotten there 12 months later, Gym Launch would not have been what it was. So like our experience combined in the industry plus the timing, plus the ability to crack the one thing that nobody else had. That all compounded. And then it just, 
the word of mouth was like absolutely insane. And I think that's why we're so, we're such advocates of word of mouth because if you have the right product, you don't even, you barely need to like market it. Fix the product and then it'll market for itself. We spent most of our time on R&D. So when I say R&D, I think a lot of people don't know what that means. What we would do is we would take, if we wanted to help improve something and stay on the cutting edge, we would look at all of our client base and say, who's getting the best return on their advertising? And then we would take the top 10 and we would bring them into a focus group and we would ask them a series of questions to identify what are the common traits between these gym owners, between what they're doing, their team, their advertising, their market, whatever it is, so that we could duplicate it for others. That's really what R&D was. We spent like $50,000 a month on R&D, just testing stuff. We had an R&D team because we needed to stay ahead. And so anytime we rolled anything out, it was all based on information that we got from our customer base. The more that you really understand your customer, the better you can make your product and the more that your marketing speaks to them. You know, the biggest thing that we've, we, we realized with Gym Launch is, you know, we were with a group of like very astute entrepreneurs pretty soon after the business started. And I think they all kind of felt like they saw what was happening with us and they were like, we've got to help them. And the biggest thing that was instilled in me was making sure that Alex and I had clarity on our roles. Alex is marketing, Layla is everything else. That was the first decision. But there was one really clear piece that they said too. They're like, Alex, don't go help Layla. Like I remember a mentor saying that. He was like, do not help Layla. She can figure this out. You trying to help her when neither of you know how to do this is only showing her that you don't think she can do it. That was like one of the best things that we could have had because I see so many business owners now, especially married, and the husband doesn't realize that he's undermining the wife by overly inserting himself to help her. And I'm so glad that Alex has literally never done that to me. <laughs> he has only ever supported and encouraged me and said, you can do this. That was a key piece that I think is so underestimated. One of the first things I do with companies is I help clarify their roles. They don't know how important it is. So year two of the business, we I think we did 27 million in revenue and like 17 million in profit. There was no context as to how well we were doing. I think what a lot of people assume is that when a business is going really well financially, that it feels good. But the thing is, is if you don't have experience, you don't even have the lens of which to judge if it's going well. And when you're growing that fast, it, it feels like jumping off a plane with no parachute and having to figure out how to pull the parachute on the way down while you're falling. And so it's just constant urgency and also not knowing what the you're doing in a situation that's high stress. Like all of like the fun and like lightness that I had in my body just like left me for four years. And I think I was just like a complete robot because I was so terrified I was doing something wrong. I was always scared that I was going to make some mistake and lose all of our money. It felt like you go from having no stakes at all and no consequences to if you don't do well to having a huge amount of consequences and stakes if you don't do well. And to go from one to the other so quickly is a lot to adjust to. Fast growth companies, typically the people that are there year one, 90% of them are gone by year five. And it's because the company, you have, say, a staff accountant or a director of operations who can do the job while the company's at $5 million. But then the director of operations for a $5 million company versus a $100 million company are completely different jobs. So what it is, is that everyone's job changes every like six months because the company changes so much. And so 
what I saw was I saw it happening in the company and I read about it and I was like, oh, I really hope that's not going to happen here. And unfortunately it did. And very quickly, it was year three that I realized a lot of the people I'd put in leadership positions were just like, they're not qualified for the job and I don't have the skills to teach them. I wasn't yet the leader that could have helped any of them. So they all got fired. You know, it was the worst part of the, my career because I always have just been motivated by building a place where people want to work. I took it so seriously. I beat myself up over it and it didn't do anything. You know, I just felt like and I probably didn't show up as a good leader for my whole team. Now I look back at it and I'm like, these are the decisions that you have to own as a company. You will make mistakes. You have to own those mistakes and beating yourself up absolutely doesn't serve you. I actually, in hindsight, handled it as well as I think I would right now. I don't think I could have handled it any better. Some things went wrong. Like I went to do a layoff and my director of human resources leaked it and then everyone freaked out and panicked. And then I had people quit that I wasn't even gonna let go of. People blew it out of proportion and we lost more people than we were anticipated. And I had spent, you know, two months. I had planned the whole thing. So every person, there was no group layoffs. It was all one-on-one. Like I read everything about this and I was like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it as gently as possible. I knew it was going to be really hard for them, but I was going to do it in the best way possible to avoid it being like something that they have to carry with them forever. That was a really big turning point for me because I realized there's a lot of times in business when we know we need to do something, but there's so many things going on that we choose not to, and it continues to build. You know, I learned that there are never, not everything is always going to go as planned. It seldom ever does. And you have to plan for the unplanned because if I had planned for someone to leak it or do this or do that, like I would have been adaptable to the situation. The two biggest takeaways I think I had, along with just learning that as a leader, beating yourself up is just, you're stealing all that energy that you could have been pouring into the solution and you're putting it into, you know, beating yourself up, pitting yourself, making yourself feel like And then you show up poorly for your team because of that. And I just realized that beating myself is actually a selfish thing to do because then I'm less, I'm not myself for my team. I'm not the leader they need. And that was probably the biggest personal lesson I got from that. And so if you're a new business owner, everything feels really scary and hard the first time it happens because, because of the unknown, like your brain doesn't know what's going to happen next. The moment that it's happened, you can predict, and then it is automatically less frightening. And a lot of people just can't contextualize that. And I think it's also understanding that it's okay to be nervous and scared and stressed. I think that a lot of people put out so much content around the money and the flash and the thing and like all these things that, you know, it's hard and especially hard for people who really want to do well. I think it's not hard if you don't really care about people and you don't really care about your customers and you don't care about making an impact. But if you really care about those things, it's a lot harder. And so, I don't think it's a bad thing that it's hard because I think all it means is that you care. So while running Gym Launch, you know, we kind of had a decision at one point, which was how are we going to continue to grow this beyond the current product offering, which at that point I think was doing 30 million a year in just one product. And the question that we had was, do we go international or do we start a physical products line that can sell through the distribution base of the gyms? And so we decided to do the physical products lines, mostly because it seemed more familiar to us. We did the physical products because one of the core things that we had done when Alex and I would launch gyms is we would sell people supplements. 
And we would always sell them supplements that we actually liked and took and support. And so we thought like, how cool would it be if we could build a supplement line that not only was like a very ethically sound line of supplements, but also one that you could make a ton of money on as a gym owner. And so we made one with like the highest quality of ingredients and we had the gyms sell it through their locations and they would sell it to their customers. And so that was the second business that we started when I was 26. And so I think it was a really good business that I learned a lot from because I got the experience with physical products, got the experience with technology, got the experience with selling through affiliates rather than directly to them. The moment that we launched it, it did like, I think like 1.8 million the first month because we already had a customer base. And so that was probably the hardest part of starting that business was how do you launch a product to an already existing customer base? As much as we thought it was a part of Gym Launch, it wasn't. It's a completely separate business. And we often underestimate how much another product line is going to distract us. And I continuously felt like I had two children from that point on that were asking for my attention. It was like, Prestige needs this. Gym Launch needs this. This team needs you. This team needs you. Though they were symbiotic in that we sold the supplements through the gym base, it didn't matter. It was a different business. You know, and so I constantly felt split between the two. The results were good, but like the process sucked. You know, it was just very demanding. And the reason for that was like, I didn't understand this one fundamental thing, which was that if you split a team's attention, neither thing can grow as quickly or as well. Nothing gets done as well. And I think now I just completely understand it. How would I have done it differently? I would have from day one built a mini leadership team for Prestige. But instead, I split my leadership team to be above all. And I would have never done that again. That was probably the biggest thing I learned from Prestige was the value of focus. You know, I feel like a lot of people who have kids have like one that's not the favorite. And Alan was that for me. <laughs> Fundamentally, I think that the reason it wasn't going to succeed was because Alex and I didn't agree on it. It's the only thing that we've never agreed on. And then we moved forward anyways, not agreeing. So Allen is a software that works leads automatically. So if somebody, say you have a landing page, someone opts in, they put their email and their phone number in there and they say they want to learn more, it'll automatically text them. It's basically an AI powered tool that then will work that lead. And the, the goal or output of Allen is that it gets the person in the door or it gets them to the appointment. Like it's not like a process driven, it is an outcome driven. So it, it maximizes everything to get the person to show up for an appointment. We spent a lot of money on development. I think like almost $2 million on dev at that point. And I was, and then I joined a software coaching program. And then I learned everything we did with dev was wrong. <laughs> and I was like, we're f But I was so distracted having gym launch and prestige still. I was like, how the hell am I going to do this too? And I groomed enough leaders in gym launch and prestige that they were able to maintain a lot of that with me gone. And then I put myself on Allen to basically build it up from the ground up. Though it was monetarily successful, it had a lot of second order consequences in year two and three from being built so quickly with not the proper technology. And having to clean that up taught me that taking more time to build something is always a smarter way to go. Because fixing mistakes takes longer than just doing it right the first time. And so that brought me a lot for acquisition.com because I said to myself, if I want to build acquisition.com into a billion dollar business, how long do I think reasonably it would take to build the base? I was like, maybe five or seven or eight years.
you know, but if I build it right and really build something that can go to a billion, we want to make money. That's why a lot of people get into business. They want to feel successful and they can't delay it. And therefore they make decisions in the short term that sacrifice the long term. And that was the biggest thing I got from Alan. We sold it to a strategic buyer and then they spent, God, years cleaning it up. And if we had just built it right the first time, it probably would be much bigger than it is now. And so I've taken that and applied it with acquisition. And the bigger you want a business to be, the bigger the foundation is, which means the longer it takes to get there. Yeah. So then, you know, at the point where we decided we didn't want to stay in the fitness industry, neither of us, not because I think it's bad, but because when I look at other industries, applying our skill set to industries with larger opportunities, I felt like that made more sense. Like I felt like our skill set put on a different vehicle in a bigger opportunity would allow us to capitalize on our skills more than we were in our current. When we first decided that we were going to sell the business, we had a CFO we had brought on who that was something she'd done a lot before. Without her, I, I don't even know if we would have gotten the thing sold because people didn't understand what Jim Launch did. And they also didn't understand how the two worked together. And I think they also thought that Alex and I were like, integral to the business, whereas we had actually outsourced it at that time. It was an interesting process. It was a lot of first phone calls, getting to know people, a lot of bankers and PE flying in, getting to know us, talking to us. And then, you know, COVID hit. And then the process changed a lot. We kind of took it off the market for a little bit. Everyone said, they're like, if you wait, you can sell it for nine figures. At this point, I think we had like 45 million in cash. And I'm like, I just don't care. I was just like, I just don't want to do this for another two years. It's more like, I don't want to wait the future out. And like, is that worth that much money to me? And we decided, no, we want to do this. We know what we want to do next. And we sold it for less than I think it was worth. So we got 45 million in cash. And then the rest we rolled over as stock. So we still own 335% of the business. And so we now just sit on the board. If anyone's a small business and you're still needed in your business, like, think twice before you try to sell it because I've seen that process put a lot of businesses under. Acquisition.com was partially sparked from, we met with so many different bankers and PE firms and they're doing this with our business and they don't even like know how to run a business. They just know how to buy businesses. We are like, what if we could learn how to partner with businesses and know how to run them? <laughs> like how much could we help them? And so we were like, what if we could engineer a model where we could do right by the customer, the business and the employees? and us. And so that was really the vision for acquisition.com is like almost like an anti-PE approach to PE. Like how can we make this a good thing for business owners rather than like you're getting exploited and taken advantage of? You hear so many business owners just sell their business and then they're like, yeah, they've really run it into the ground. Yeah, it's really like not the same. Yeah, the whole team's pretty stressed. Like I was like, what if you could do it and then it could be better? We felt like our skill sets and what we want to do on a daily basis, talking with cool CEOs, working with a team of very smart people that are specialized in helping build out each function of the business, you know, recruiting leadership for the key roles, like doing all those things are what we're very good at and love doing. And what if we could do it within a vehicle that traditionally, you know, is the opposite, acquiring businesses in a way that, you know, it's not like we're going out and like fishing for them. They're coming to us and saying, I want to partner with acquisition.com. So what acquisition.com does is we're a growth partner. So essentially what we do is we buy into the business with, there's three things, brand, work, and money. Typically we lead with work because what we do is we come in and we deploy our 
you know, team of experts on the functions of the business to help grow it. And most of the people that come to us honestly are successful. So they don't like need a ton of capital versus I think a lot of traditional investors, they lead with capital and they try to do no work and try no brand, nothing. We're looking for people who want to grow the business. They want to make an impact. They want to be a market leader. They want to make, you know, a place where people love to work. They have a passion for what they're doing and they want to capitalize on it. And we're trying to find that, like those few stars from those applications that we would be proud to partner with, that exemplify our core values, that are truly trying to make the world better with their company. People that are in it for more than the money. Because if that's the only reason that you're running this business, we're not going to be good partners. Because I want to associate with businesses who want to make an impact. I think that the biggest thing that I need to do is just become a much more patient person. I've already felt like I'm a patient person. And I do think I am, but I have to figure out how to instill that patience in everybody else. Because I feel like right now, like looking at the plan that we put into place, we basically said for the first five years, everything goes back into the business. We reinvest all resources. Alex and Layla aren't even thinking about, I mean, I, I don't even like, not even taking a dime out of the business, right? And how do I get that across to everybody else as like the first few years we're learning? You know, what businesses do we do best with? Which ones do best with us? What kind of founders do we do best with? What do best with us? And I find it all like really, like actually pretty enjoyable. But I think a lot of people want this like very fast growth. Like I think a lot of people want that, like, well, we should grow faster. I think I've just learned. And I, I actually think the path to a billion with this vehicle, it needs to go slow and it goes slow for a period of time. And then it goes very fast. And I feel like I get that, but I feel like I need to become the kind of leader that can like really instill that amongst other people on the team so that nobody ever feels rushed. Because I think rushed actions create mistakes. And this is a business where the decisions that we make stick with us for years. And oftentimes we don't even pay for the decisions that are mistakes for years. So we have to be very careful about the decisions we do make because it takes a long time to see them out and a long time to correct a mistake. And so I think everyone has to have a lot of patience when it comes to it. My friend Trevor says it well, which is like, patience is just doing something else in the meantime. And so I make the internal mission of acquisition.com to build the infrastructure in a way that is completely contrary to all other, you know, in the industry, which is like, how can we build a team? How can we build all the portfolio companies in a way where we praise, we don't punish people? And how do we build that environment? And I focus most of my attention on how am I going to do that while not, you know, while distracting myself from being patient in like waiting for the right companies, waiting for those companies to grow, waiting for the right market timing, waiting to deploy our capital. Like, so that's what I focus on in the meantime while acquisition.com grows. <laughs>